Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. It's hard to imagine a world where we leave future generations with fewer rights and freedoms. Since the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills aimed at blocking people from getting the essential sexual and reproductive care they need, including abortion. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves access to care. And with supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. Hi. Just a quick content warning. This episode discusses instances of domestic violence. If you are a victim of domestic abuse and need help, you can call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. Or you can contact them via text by texting the word START to 88788. Hey, this is The Weeds. I'm John Glenn Hill. I'm a producer here at Vox, and I'm hosting the show in the lead up to the midterm elections. We're four weeks out from the election, early voting is underway in some places, and if you live in Pennsylvania, Nevada, Georgia, or Wisconsin, you've probably been inundated with campaign ads. These states are considered toss-ups, and whatever party wins those seats will control the Senate. And nothing says close election like an October surprise. The one getting the most buzz this election cycle comes from Georgia, courtesy of senatorial candidate Herschel Walker. I wanted to know more about how the Senate races are shaking out, and I figured there's no one better to talk to than Lizo. She covers Congress and elections at Vox, and sometimes we watch The Bachelor together. There's an NFL to Bachelor pipeline. I'm surprised mm. there's not, like, a Bachelor to politician pipeline that yet. Is, you're, okay, Nick Vile. Oh, it's only a matter of time. <laughs> it's only a matter of time. It's Also, what's his name? Jesse, what's his face? Oh. Just, it's only a matter of time. Jesse Cardboard Palmer. Yeah, it's, it's only a matter of time before Jesse Palmer runs for Congress. But when we're not succumbing to the guilty pleasures of reality TV, we're watching the political races. So she and I sat down in the studio to talk about it, including the most recent scandal. So, Lee, refresh us. Who is Herschel Walker and why is he making headlines? So Herschel Walker is Republican's nominee for the Senate in Georgia. He is a famous football player in the state, went on to play for the NFL, became a business owner, and honestly was pushed over the top in the Republican primary because Trump ended up endorsing him. So he is their candidate, and he is in the news again because there were two big bombshells that came out about him that could severely affect his campaign and Republicans' chances of winning in the state. So the first one is related to his support for abortion. So Herschel Walker has for a long time vehemently said he is anti-abortion. He supports a ban that does not have exceptions for rape, incest, or the health of the woman. Oh. 
wow. you know, he signed on to Lindsey Graham's abortion ban, made his position very clear. So the Daily Beast article that came out last week says he paid for an abortion for a former girlfriend in 2009. And she basically talks about in the article that she could not stand the hypocrisy. And that's why she mm. felt like she had to come forward. In response to that, Walker's campaign has denied the report. He said he doesn't know, you know, who this woman could be. He's threatened to sue the Daily Beast oh for reporting goodness. it. And then that actually prompted this woman who spoke out to come back out again and say that she and Walker share a child. So she was surprised to see him say that he couldn't possibly remember, you know, who was talking about this. Secondly, after that report came out, his son, Christian Walker, who is a conservative commentator, came out with this thread that reiterates and kind of brings some domestic abuse allegations back into light. You have no idea what I've been through in my life. You have no idea what me and my mom have survived. We could have so he talks about how Herschel Walker threatened the life of him and his mother. They moved six times in six months to get away from the violence oh that Walker was threatening them with. And in the past, Walker has not denied these allegations, but he has said that he hasn't been able to remember them because he has dissociative identity disorder. And he posted on Twitter, I'll love my son no matter what, in response to kind of this long thread that was posted. And Christian Walker is this kind of conservative, young conservative star in his own right, right? Exactly. And I think that's what makes those claims more damaging mm. because he's actually somebody that conservatives like. Like, he's this rising conservative TikTok star. Like, literally the tweet. <laughs> that is the most Gen Z <laughs> sentence to ever exist. Excuse me, why is there one set of rules for elites and a whole other set for everyday citizens? So literally the tweet before he posted about his father was like a tweet saying how much he loves DeSantis and how he thought oh, wow. DeSantis's response to Hurricane Ian was the best thing ever. I think a lot of Republicans are trying to be like, it's a liberal publication. They're out to get us, et cetera. Christian Walker is not, is not that. So yeah. like it's a harder allegation or a harder line of attack to defuse. And also it's his father. So this is somebody yeah. he knows like – He's coming from a place of, of knowledge, yeah. you know. It sounds much more personal than it is partisan yes. from him. Yeah, absolutely. This isn't the first negative story that surfaced during Walker's campaign. What what else has been reported? So these incidents of abuse have been reported before, and mm. they have been raised by his ex-wife before, actually, in a book tour that they did together oh my in God. 2008. So, oh, my yeah. God. So he had this book come out where he talked about having dissociative identity disorder. And one of the issues they raised were incidents of violence, of abuse. And there are two incidents, I think, that get talked about a lot. The first is she said that he once held a gun to her head and threatened to kill her. And then the second incident is he held a knife against her neck and choked her. Oh and in both cases, he hasn't denied the allegation, but he said as a result of having dissociative identity disorder, he has memory loss. So he doesn't necessarily remember what happened, but that he takes accountability for what transpired and hasn't really gone into specifics. So, you know, that's been known. And then on top of that, another woman has come out saying she was involved with him and he threatened to kill her as part of their relationship. He's denied that. And then a third woman has accused him of stalking her. He's also denied that. 
One of the other things is that he has in the past been a vocal critic of absentee fathers, particularly he's called out the black community. And so there was reporting from the Daily Beast as well that showed that he has three children he hasn't publicly acknowledged before, including one that he has not played a huge role in raising. And that story came out to try to speak again to some of these inconsistencies about things he said publicly and how he's acted personally. So the other update with Herschel Walker is that the same woman who is alleged that he paid for an abortion says that he actually asked her to get a second abortion years later, and she declined. Um, And she ended up having her son, and that's when their relationship ended. And she's also provided text messages to the Daily Beast, which show the relationship between Walker and his son, who's now 10 years old. She alleges he hasn't seen his son for over six years, and uh, the text messages you know, show a lot of this back and forth, um, show his son reaching out um, and a little bit of Walker's response or, you know, lack of response in some cases. On top of the personal baggage, there have been a couple professional achievements that he has potentially misrepresented or exaggerated. So his graduation from the University of Georgia, the size of his business, the amount that his business contributes to charity his role in law enforcement, which he has said he has an experience in, and there's not a ton of records backing that up. And then finally, there have been numerous examples where he's made these policy gaffes that have spurred some people to question, you know, his experience on some of these policy issues. They've included comments where he said it's not worth it necessarily to spend money combating air pollution because the bad air from the U.S. will float to China and then China's air will float back to the U.S. Oh, that's not how air works. It's, It's not how air works. Since we don't control the air, our good air decided to float over to China, bad air. So when China gets our good air, their bad air got to move. So that was one that went viral. Another time he said inflation is a women's issue because women buy the groceries. And so there are all these comments he's made. They've gotten attention because they suggest he doesn't have a ton of experience on policy. So a lot of folks consider this latest scandal, the one about the abortion, as an October surprise for Walker. How is this playing out in Georgia versus how it's playing out in the national news? So there has been one survey that's come out that's by a local news affiliate in Georgia. And what they found was that Warnock was ahead of Walker by three percentage points. Mm. And the person conducting that poll said they basically did the exact same survey before the allegations came out. And Warnock was ahead of Walker by one percentage point. So if you're just looking at the timing, that suggests that the news did affect some people and potentially, you know, shifted surveys slightly. So it sounds like this race between... Walker and Warnock is really close and like potentially within the margin of error. And, you know, recently we did an episode on polling and polling gets it wrong a lot of the time. Yeah. Is there any way to sort of get a feel of how this could go or are we just going to have to wait for election night? Yeah. So we we have seen Warnock steadily leading Walker in surveys probably for the last few months. So we do see a trend. Okay. But Like you said, the amount that Warnock is leading by is still within the margin of error. So it's not a situation where, like, it would be shocking if Walker does pull ahead on election night. Are we likely to see a runoff when it comes to these two? I mean, we saw that with Loeffler and Warnock. Extremely likely to see a runoff. 
off. I know that's not maybe not what everyone wants to hear because it just means our electoral nightmare continues. We are going to be up all night. We are going to eat so much election night pizza. Oh, my goodness. Um, But in Georgia, if a candidate does not hit 50 percent, it goes to a runoff. And right now, even if you look at polls, neither of them are hitting 50 percent. So, like, let's say it was held today. They did exactly as how they're polling. It's very possible, you know, we, we get to the runoff again. So we know politics right now are sort of more partisan and more calcified than ever. You know, Republicans are going to vote Republican. Democrats are going to vote Democrat. How could this impact his campaign with the midterms coming up so soon? They could have a huge impact. And, you know, it's really too soon, I think, to say whether it's a decisive blow to his campaign. But I would say these two separate revolutions could affect different voters. Mm. So that first story you have about abortion, about hypocrisy, you know, you could see that maybe turning off some socially conservative voters who are like, we really want someone who stands by the values they espouse. I have talked to Republicans who are like, you know, people evolve, like, I'm open to that. And Mm. I'm going to kind of continue supporting him no matter what. So, So you definitely have that potential. But We don't know what that looks like just yet. The second thing I would say is with Christian Walker's comments, those allegations are something that Democrats have been hitting really hard in campaign ads. And that's an issue that you could see definitely turning away moderate women in particular. They're actually a huge swing contingency in Georgia and played a big role in the runoff between Warnock and Leffler in 2020. So Warnock won the majority of women. He won the majority of moderates. He won the majority of independents. Mm. So if he's able to replicate that, maybe because of a byproduct of some people being turned away by these allegations, you know, you could see him getting a boost from all of this. Walker is running against the incumbent, Raphael Warnock. Do we know if the Warnock campaign has responded? Like, how is that playing out, you know? I think the Warnock campaign has really focused a bit more on some of the policy things he's achieved, like Mm. the achievements he's brought to the state in terms of his support for capping the cost of insulin for Medicare recipients, expanding Medicaid, things like that. And I think the other thing that makes a little bit of this focus uncomfortable is that Warnock has faced some domestic violence allegations as well. Um, And like they... Are his ex-wife accused him of running over her foot during an argument. Oh and goodness. at the time, I think the paramedics report says they weren't able to, you know, see signs of injury. But that is an allegation that also exists against Warnock, which he's denied. So it seems like Walker has a lot going on. Why is he still doing so well? It just seems like, one, there is a lot of love for him, given his former career as the star football player. Like, Mm. he won the Heisman Trophy. He got University of Georgia to a championship. Like, a lot of people, I think especially people maybe closer to his age, like, Mm. remember that and really value that. And I have heard people talk just so passionately about it. Whether or not that's enough for them to overlook all of these other flaws is an open question. But that's a big reason, I think, he has huge name recognition in the state just Mm. from that. I am not a football fan, so I'm like not, I'm, you know, I, I have so many friends yeah. who went to UGA yeah. and they're just like, I'm going to call the dogs. I don't even know what that means, but they're always doing it. Yeah. Yeah. How do I end up at a Georgia bar every Saturday? I didn't sign up for this. But yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I think I completely underestimated the power of celebrity because people are like, I will talk to people and they'll be like, he's a legend. Like, and that, I, I don't know if that's enough to overlook everything yeah. else, but for some people, that that matters a lot. Like, there's a lot of nostalgia. There's a lot of just, like, love tied up into that. So 
with all of this going on, you know, it's kind of been scandal after scandal. It's gotten bigger. His own son has spoken out. Could Herschel Walker still win this? He totally could still win this. And I think that is counterintuitive maybe to think that because of just everything that has come out about him. But there are a couple of different things that are working in Republicans' favor basically no matter where they are. Mm. So first you have the backlash against the president's party always faces. That's in favor. You have concerns about inflation, the economy, that people are really pinning on Democrats, whether or not that's fair. Biden having a really low approval rating in Georgia. Mm. So like a recent poll found he has a 36 percent approval rating in Georgia. That's compared to 43 percent nationwide. So this oh, is wow. like a place where, you know, he's yeah, less he's doing popular. especially bad there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, like, you have seen, you know, Warnock in some respect try to distance himself from Biden because he's been outperforming him. He has better favorability, you know, like, so if he's able to kind of keep that separation, potentially that diffuses that issue. And then on top of that, you have Republicans in Georgia who are like, I am open to voting for Walker because I want the Senate majority back, you mm. know, and I want us to have a Senate that checks the president and if the candidate's not great, that's okay. Like, I'm just going to go ahead and do it anyway. How important is this Georgia race specifically when it comes to, you know, this year's midterms and the future of the Senate? It could literally be the race that decides Senate control. So it is extremely important. And I think that's why you have so much pressure on it kind of from both sides. And you have these Republicans that are still like, I'm willing to ignore everything that I see to just stick by my party. All right. After the break, we'll get into some of the other toss-up Senate races. Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. Your body is your own. That's why Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Today, lawmakers who oppose abortion are challenging Planned Parenthood. Affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. Planned Parenthood believes that healthcare is a basic human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies. They also work tirelessly to oppose the onslaught of new policies aimed at interfering with personal decisions best left to patients and their doctors. They won't give up and they won't back down. You can join Planned Parenthood in the fight to help make sure that the next generation can decide their own futures. The organization needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. Your body is your own. That's why Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Today, lawmakers who oppose abortion are challenging Planned Parenthood. Affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. Planned Parenthood believes that health care is a basic human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies. They also work tirelessly to oppose the onslaught of new policies aimed at interfering with personal decisions best left to patients and their doctors. They won't give up and they won't back down. You can join Planned Parenthood in the fight to help make sure that the next generation can decide their own futures. The organization needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. Welcome back to The Weeds. 
I'm Jonquilyn Hill. So we're talking about this because midterms are almost upon us and all eyes are on the Senate. Who's going to have control? What are some of the most competitive races and why is it so fierce among those candidates? So one of the reasons it's so fierce is all the national dynamics we've talked a little bit about. We got the Republican dynamics, but then we also have a huge surge of energy on the Democratic side, especially after the Roe decision related mm. to protecting abortion rights. So just at a national level, you have those two things kind of going head to head. And there are a couple of states that were always going to be competitive. These are states that have gone for Trump in the past and then went for Biden in 2020. So there are places that truly are swing states based on the number of voters, the number of independents and moderates who could go either way. Um, And those four places, Georgia, which we've talked quite a lot about, also Wisconsin, Nevada, and Pennsylvania, those four are thought to be the most competitive states of all the Senate races that are happening. A lot of it comes down to those dynamics. And then they also come down to specific in-state dynamics that are happening. So like in Wisconsin, for example, you have this incumbent, Ron Johnson. Senator Johnson's work and family define him. He and his brothers and sisters were raised by two loving parents with deep faith who taught him the value of work. Who has made a lot of controversial decisions related to undermining the 2020 election, related to questioning the COVID vaccine. So he is somebody who is more extreme on the Republican side. But he is an incumbent, so he has that advantage. Um, And then you have a challenger, Mandela Barnes. My mom was a teacher, and my dad worked third shift. I know what families are up against. Who Republicans are trying to frame as too progressive. They've honestly used a ton of racist attacks against him, specifically about crime, trying to say he's soft on crime because of statements he's made where he's opposed cash bail. So there are those dynamics where Johnson is trying to make this case about crime. You have Barnes trying to make a case about abortion. And those two issues kind of going head to head and really coming down to the wire. Oh, that's interesting. So I guess we'll see, you know, what voters care about more. Right, exactly, which is a question that we'll have answered in in November. (laughs) (laughs) And then um, in Nevada, you have an interesting situation where you have a Democratic incumbent who is actually struggling a little bit. And that's because of a lot of the attacks that Republicans have had on the economy. So the candidate there, Adam Laxalt, he was attorney general. Um, The Democratic candidate is Catherine Cortez Masto, who also was attorney general. Catherine fought to get Nevada our fair share of COVID relief. And she also made sure we got the special attention we needed. We really needed some. Laxalt's family has been in politics for a long time, so he's somebody who has name recognition in Nevada. Adam dedicated his life to causes he believed in. Everything he had to overcome helped to make him a good man. I'm Adam Laxalt, and I approve this message. He's also very extreme. He, you know, was an election denier. He's anti-abortion, like all the things that you would expect from a conservative candidate. I think he's tried to pivot a little bit to the center as he's tried to appeal to more people. And he really has focused on the economy, which has been a big issue in Nevada because of business closures during the pandemic and how much so much of the service industry suffered because of that. And so I think tapping into some of that emotional pain that people have had seems to be something that's working for him just based on polling being much tighter there than in other places. And then lastly, Pennsylvania, you have an open seat because Pat Toomey retired. You have a really strong Democratic candidate in the form of John Fetterman, who's talked about economic populism. He's running for Senate to do the same thing there. Good American jobs, higher wages for us. That's John. This is John Fetterman, and I approve this message. And then you have Dr. Oz, famous (laughs) 
famous reality TV doctor <laughs> called out for, you know, peddling some questionable health cures um, in his career. Pennsylvania needs a conservative who will put America first, one who can reignite our divine spark, bravely fight for freedom, and tell it like it is. Most recently called out for experimentation on puppies. Oh, my <laughs> God. Know? So <laughs> there's, there's a lot going on in that race just, like, from a personal, like, candidate standpoint. Yeah. And the same issue, I think, where in Pennsylvania, Biden won in 2020, but Trump won in 2016. So this is a state that is up for grabs for both parties. So it's interesting. You sort of just touched on this, but the candidate quality seems questionable for a lot of the Republican candidates. And you wrote in your recent piece that they have a quality problem. What's happening? Why is this going on? It's something, honestly, that even Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell has been really upfront about. Mm. There's a, probably a greater likelihood the House flips than the Senate. Senate races are just different. They're statewide. Candidate quality has a lot to do with the outcome. And the reason this comes a lot specifically for Republicans is because the electorate in Republican primaries is so much more conservative oh. than a general election electorate. So, like, they might pick the candidate who is much more to the right. And that person is not necessarily going to be appealing, especially in swing states where Democrats have picked moderates. Yeah. So, like, you have a far right candidate versus a moderate candidate, and then you end up with, you know, Republicans lagging a lot. So Georgia's not the only place we've seen this. This has happened in Arizona with Blake Masters. This has happened also in other places in New Hampshire as well, where, you know, the most far-right candidate also won the primary there. So it's a couple of different places where Republicans are really struggling to connect the primary winner with the general electorate. What's interesting is, like, the Republican Party base, they pick these candidates. This is who they want. And, you know, you— cover Congress and elections. So I know that you're aware of how deeply polarized it all is. Do voters care about the quote unquote bad candidates or will it make a difference? Yeah, I think for some voters that might make a difference in the past, what we've seen is probably one of the most famous examples is in Missouri when Claire McCaskill was up against Todd Akin. Mm -hmm. And he was the person who made the comments about how a woman is able to protect her body from pregnancy in instances of legitimate rape, quote unquote. Uh, the female body has ways to try to shut that whole thing down. That was a situation where he was such a bad candidate that he lost the race. And so... There are scenarios. I think we have a couple of candidates who fall into that category of having said many things that are controversial, that are offensive, that could end up costing them the race. At the same time, like we talked about earlier, you have so many people being willing to vote for the Republican because they are a Republican. Mm. So if that dynamic prevails and if Senate control is all that matters to voters, it's possible that you see them being OK with some of these candidates that have serious flaws. It sounds like there are a lot of races going on and, you know, politics can be so unpredictable. Uh, is it likely that we're going to get another October surprise? And like, if not for Walker, for somebody. Right. So just looking at the calendar today is 
October 11th. So we are in oh, week God. two of the month. Oh, um, so I suspect it's very likely that we could have many more surprises to come. Uh, we've got a, we got a lot of coffee ahead of us, Lee. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, Godspeed and stay caffeinated. All right. Lee, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. Next, we've talked about our most recent October surprise, but how did this trend even begin? Find out after the break. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right, $25 a month, every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. Welcome back to The Weeds. I'm John Quillen Hill. All of this news about Herschel Walker really got me thinking about October surprises. Like, what's the deal with them? Where did they come from? And at the end of the day, do they really matter to voters? I wanted to know, so I called up David Greenberg. He's a professor of history and journalism and media studies at Rutgers University. David, thank you so much for joining us on The Weeds today. Yeah, glad to be with you. Thanks. What exactly is an October surprise? Originally, it meant a sort of calculated surprise that was deliberately released or made public in October, shortly before the election, in order to influence the outcome of the election. And I guess there was the further thought that, you know, this was something done by the rival campaign, maybe by the media, but really that there was a sort of deliberateness to it. Nowadays, I think we've changed the meaning so that it means anything that comes up in October, that's a surprise. <laughs> uh, you know, any all kinds of things kind of now get thrown into this basket. And um, it's, it's lost a little bit of that original idea. Yeah, that's so interesting. I in researching for this episode, you know, I was looking at October surprises past and present. And, you know, there's that OPEC news. And Fox News was like, is this an October surprise for Democrats? And the answer is, I don't know. <laughs> I, is it? <laughs> right. And, and I, you know, would probably not be using the term in that way. 
obviously things happen every day. The economy takes a turn for the worse. There's a good jobs report, a bad jobs report, a good stock market day, a bad day. Those things aren't, you know, really what we mean by October surprises. The term goes back to the 1980 campaign. Jimmy Carter was the incumbent, but was running a kind of uphill re-election battle against Ronald Reagan. One of the many things bogging Carter down, why people were unhappy with his presidency, was we had all these American hostages who had been taken in Iran during the revolution and the overthrow of the Shah. Good evening. The U.S. Embassy in Tehran has been invaded and occupied by Iranian students. The Americans inside have been taken prisoner and, according to a student spokesman, will be held as hostages until the deposed Shah is returned from the United States where he's receiving medical treatment for cancer. It was actually a uh, Reagan campaign official, Bill Casey, who implied there was going to be an October surprise, that Carter was somehow going to get the hostages freed in October in order to revive his sagging fortunes. The picture was clouded by Iran's decision to set terms for freeing the hostages, captive now for a year. Will this help or hurt Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, John Anderson? Do we know if that made a difference in that election at all, or do we not have the data to tell? You know, Reagan won by a lot in 1980, and there were many reasons why people were unhappy with Carter. I think, you know, most analysts would agree that his poor foreign policy overall, including his inability to get those hostages out over such a long period of time, really hurt him. After 30 days of unsuccessfully trying to get the American hostages out of Tehran, the government of the United States is now trying to get the deposed Shah of Iran out of this country. Whether the expectation and then the dashed hope of an October release was a particular factor, I think, is less significant. But the hostage issue in general was a big factor. And had he been able to get them released, I suppose it's conceivable he might have seen a different outcome. But, you know, usually when there's a landslide election and 1980 was a pretty big victory, if not an actual landslide for Reagan, there's many causes. And one thing like that is usually not going to turn turn the outcome around. Mm, interesting. Because I don't know, it just feels like this thing that's hyped up that it's like, wow, this could make or break this election that's coming up. And it's it kind of sounds like sometimes these things really don't matter. <laughs> right. And I mean, this is in general a kind of fallacy I think we have in campaign coverage that as the media and the public too gets sort of caught up in the race, there's you know a fantasy that one little thing could lead to a different outcome. Now, in the last several election cycles, most of them at the presidential level, uh, have been extremely close. We've also had a lot of extremely close state and local races. And so when it's extremely close, it's obviously much easier to suppose that one event could make the difference. 2000 is one worth talking about because you really did hear the label October surprise, although maybe it technically occurred in early November. I forget the date. But throughout the campaign, there was a lot of concern about George Bush 
Jr.'s former alcoholism and drinking a lot and this kind of frat boy reputation he had. There are rumors even about cocaine, which were never proven. But the drinking was a real problem. And although I think everyone believed he had stopped drinking, it was a part of his image he had to grapple with. And in the last few days of the campaign, a sort of local official in Maine, where he had years ago been arrested for drunk driving, released that arrest record. Bush swept across the battleground states of the Midwest today, competing with front page stories about his arrest. Obviously, there's a report out tonight that 24 years ago, I was uh, apprehended in Kennebunkport, Maine for a DUI. That's an accurate story. I'm not proud of that. Al Gore, for whatever reason, chose to take the high road and not make much of the issue. That's a very different political landscape than the one we're in now. <laughs> right. Well, Gore was interesting. Gore's whole appeal and his whole approach was to be very moral, very honest, very much a straight shooter. And some people felt that he was a bit too unwilling to kind of sling the mud. And that hurt him, not just in failing to capitalize on this drunk driving thing, which, you know, I don't know whether had it been exploited more, could have made a difference. But also then in the ensuing recount in Florida, where Gore took a very nonpartisan, consistent, principled stand, while George Bush and people like Roger Stone and James Baker were organizing mobs to shut down the counting. Probably listeners are thinking about 2016. Access Hollywood. Yeah. I mean, you had two events that really were called October Surprise. First, the Access Hollywood tape of Donald Trump on video saying these crude things about women. You know, a lot of people really thought that's going to finish him off. He was behind in the polls already, but they thought that was really the death knell. So that got labeled an October surprise. Then a couple weeks later, with just 10 days to go until the election, yet another controversy. On Friday, FBI Director James Comey sent a letter to select congressional leaders announcing that the criminal investigation into Hillary Clinton's private email server has been reopened. Those notorious emails. Yeah. And that was an October surprise. And of course, that's one where I think there's a plausible case that it did make the difference because clearly had the election of 2016 been held in mid-October, Hillary would have won. I mean, all the evidence suggests, you know, she was up in the polls, you know, as much as 11 points. And so things changed. Voters, there are people who changed their mind. And there were people who, in the last couple of weeks of the campaign, changed their mind and moved from the Hillary camp you know, leaning Hillary to leaning Trump or whatever, voting for Trump. Is this sort of indicative of where our politics are? I mean, even the fact that, like, these things happen and they kind of don't stay in the consciousness that long. Like, people move on and kind of don't care. Like, what does that say about kind of does does that say anything about where we are in our politics? Oh, I think it does. And I think in a way there's two slightly different phenomena that coincide. One is the sense of a short attention span and a rapid news cycle so that things 
don't linger and we just move on to new issues. You know, I remember more than a year ago with the Biden administration's troubles over the Afghanistan withdrawal, there was a lot of talk about what political effect this would have come the midterms or even for Biden's reelection. And I think everybody agrees now very little. Like, what were yeah. we thinking? It seems so yeah. long ago. But at the time, people spoke very earnestly about the serious political consequences, I mean, electoral consequences that this would have. So there's the sense of time. But then there's also kind of that, you know, super Teflon quality that Trump in particular seems to have. And I think with Trump, it was a kind of moral. People didn't expect exemplary moral or ethical behavior from him. And so mm. in a weird way, he did get penalized for not living up to that. And then, of course, the other thing is we've become so polarized and partisan that, you know, lots of people do actually find some of these things objectionable, but they find the other party so intolerable that they're willing to forgive a great deal on their own side. And under those conditions, being high-minded and quarreling with some flaws of your nominee seems short-sighted, right? Um, so if you really think everything is at stake and we cannot let the other party take the White House, well, it stands to reason that you would forgive a lot. Do these things blow up just among media and the people, you know, that watch closely? Do we know how a voter who's less informed thinks about these things? Sometimes it's surprising how big the gap can be, even just between Twitter people and non-Twitter people. I mean, I'm someone who reads a lot of news, consumes a lot of news, but isn't on Twitter all that much compared to, say, my peers in journalism, academia, and so yeah. on. And I am sometimes astonished at how something blows up on Twitter and people think this is it. This is the big story. And most of the world knows nothing about it. <laughs> it's, and, and then it's over in a day or so. And so they never learn about it. I mean, sometimes it is just a Twitter story. And it's very hard to maintain that perspective if you're on Twitter 24-7 and you're following all these other journalists and all these political sources and, you know, everybody's following everyone else. It, it becomes a fairly closed world. I think there are a lot of voters, uh, you know, sometimes we use the term low information voters, who not only aren't on Twitter, but they're not reading a daily newspaper. You know, they catch some news on television. They catch bits and pieces here and there. Some may have strong partisan leanings, some may not. And I think for a story like an October Surprise style story to really get their attention, it has to rise to a pretty high level of significance. I mean, it may be something like the Access Hollywood tape, which you know, you could, you could sort of debate it's significant, but it has to be a really big deal. And some of the stuff that gets hyped just never, never reaches that level, doesn't cross that threshold. Do we see sort of a pattern with the scandals that rise to the top? Like, I'm thinking of Iran 
back, you know, in 1980. But now this Herschel Walker thing is abortion. And that's at the top of minds for a lot of people right now. There tends to be a correlation, not always, but there tends to be a correlation between the issues that really blow up and issues that are already important for other reasons, right? If we had not just seen Roe v. Wade overturned early this summer, then maybe this story about Walker would not be quite as big a deal, right? That it's it's partly a big deal because we are all concerned about abortion rights. I mean, whichever side of the issue you're on, it's a big issue this fall. In 1980, the Iranian hostages was something that was in the news every day. You know, it's actually how the show Nightline got started. There was a nightly special that Ted Koppel hosted, America Help Hostage, day, you know, 313, day 314. This is ABC News Nightline. Reporting from Washington, Ted Koppel. Good evening. This is a new broadcast in the sense that it is permanent and will continue after the Iran crisis is over. There will also be... When it's something that is the number one issue or even, you know, a top issue that's in the news, and then there's a scandal or a bombshell that relates to that subject, I think it's much more likely to kind of command our attention than if it has to do with something that is uh, seems a bit trivial or off-topic. Those kind of things might get noticed, but then pass much more quickly from the headlines. David, thank you so much for joining us. Sure, it was my pleasure. That's all for us today. Thank you to Vox's Lizo and historian David Greenberg for joining us. Our producer and engineer is Sophie Lalonde. Libby Nelson is our editorial advisor. Our deputy editorial director is A.M. Hall. And I'm your host, John Glenn Hill. The Weeds is part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com.